Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Thank you all very much. You know, when I come here, I feel um, honestly very comfortable. And I want to thank uh, Ahavat Shalom for allowing us to use their beautiful synagogue. A few years ago, I was bar mitzvahed in a synagogue not very different from this. And I am delighted to be here with members of the immigrant community because my father was an immigrant. And we will not allow people to attack immigrants because immigrants built this country. And in a moment, we're going to be talking about things like rent control, which is pretty... Not a radical idea to me, because I grew up in a rent control department, Brooklyn, New York. So, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to speak for three or four hours now. A few minutes, and then we've got a great panel here of folks who know more about housing uh, than I do. And uh, I'm going to uh, introduce them uh, to you in a moment. Uh, and then after that, we're going to open it up to your comments and your questions. Uh, I think the important thing that we're doing today is understanding that in terms of affordable housing, we have a major, major crisis, not just in California, but in fact, all over this country. And we are not going to solve that crisis unless we talk about that crisis and unless we come up with some very specific ideas as to how in the wealthiest country in the history of the world we end the absurdity of a half a million Americans being homeless and so many people spending 40, 50, 60 percent of their limited incomes in housing. That's what today is about. And the truth is that when we have some 18 million families in our country spending more than 50% of their limited incomes on housing. Just think about it. How do people buy the food? How do they take care of their kids? How do they put gas in their car? How do they afford health care? And the answer is they do not. It is unacceptable to me that there is virtually no place in America, especially in states like California, where a full-time minimum wage worker can afford a decent one-bedroom apartment, 
that is not acceptable. So this issue of affordable housing also, of course, ties in to wages. I remember uh, a couple of months ago, I was talking to a guy who works at an airport, and he lives here in California. And I said, how much money do you make? He said, I'm not doing bad. We're making 17 bucks an hour. But he says, it doesn't mean anything because I am spending all of that to house my wife and kids. All right, so when we look at affordable housing, it ties into income, and nobody, nobody, nobody in America is going to be able to purchase or rent affordable housing when you're making 10, 12 bucks an hour. So when we talk about affordable housing, we are also talking about raising the minimum wage to a living wage. And then you talk about not only wages and you talk about housing, you talk about basic issues of morality. Uh, today in America, we have well over a half a million people who are either sleeping out on the streets or are in emergency shelters, including 58,000 right here in Los Angeles County. And we have got to ask ourselves, what in God's name is going on in this country when we can give over a trillion dollars in tax breaks to the top 1% in large profitable corporations, but presumably we do not have enough money to make sure that a half a million of fellow Americans are not homeless. That is an outrage. And furthermore, you know, when you get into the guts of what's going on in housing, uh, we have got to appreciate that it is not acceptable that wealthy developers in Los Angeles County and throughout the country are gentrifying neighborhoods. <laughs> and that is, that is ugly on, on two counts. Number one, people throughout America grew up in communities. They, this is where they grew up. This is the neighborhood that they love. And now they are being forced out of those neighborhoods uh, and being replaced by folks who can afford expensive condominiums. That is not acceptable either. So today, today we have got to talk about gentrification and what that means to working class neighborhoods all over America. And unfortunately, and it will not surprise anybody in this room, we now have a president who is not just ignoring the affordable housing crisis, he and his administration are actively making it worse. If you can believe it, in the midst of this terrible housing crisis, instead of expanding federal housing programs, Trump is proposing to cut them by $9.6 billion or 18%. I mean, this is how out of touch this White House is with the needs of working class families. Instead of expanding affordable housing, Trump is proposing to eliminate the National Housing Trust Fund, which is now 
the major program to build low-income rental units, and I take a little bit of umbrage with that because actually that was the legislation that I introduced, along with Barbara Lee here in California. I think the principle that we are talking about here and what the political revolution that some of us are engaging in right now is to understand that there are certain fundamental rights that every American must be entitled to. And in my view, that certainly includes the right to health care for every American. Health care is a human right, not a privilege. It means the rights for all of our people, regardless of their income, to get a higher education. which is why we will make public colleges and universities tuition-free and cancel all student debt in America. And it also means, it also means the right to affordable housing in America. Now, in a few weeks, we are going to be introducing and releasing a very detailed plan. But let me tell you some of what, <clears throat> excuse me, will be in that plan. First, we must significantly and permanently expand the National Affordable Housing Trust Fund to build the seven and a half million units of housing that lower income people, senior citizens, and people with disabilities need. Not only will this close the affordable housing gap, it will create millions of good-paying union jobs. Second, we must fully fund the Section 8 Rental Assistance Program. In Vermont, and I know all over this country, there are huge waiting lists to get Section 8 housing. We're going to end those waiting lists. Third, we must end homelessness in the United States by doubling funding for the McKinney-Vento Homeless Program. And we're going to improve significantly critical services to those who are experiencing chronic homelessness. Because the issue sometimes, as you know, takes us into another crisis, which is the mental health crisis facing this country. 
Fourth, another major issue out there is that we must invest significantly into maintaining and expanding our dilapidated public housing stock. I don't know, I don't know what the situation here is in California, but I do know that in New York and elsewhere, you got public housing that is just falling apart. It has not gotten the kind of resources it needs to rehabilitate those homes. There are elevators and high-rise apartments that are not working. There are rats and cockroaches all over the place. So we have got to rehabilitate public housing in America. Fifthly, fifthly, and this is another, I mean, there are so many issues we can go on here for hours, and these guys will know more about it than I do, and they'll be talking about it. But here is another issue, and that is we have got to figure out a way to make sure that housing is perpetually affordable. Or in other words, you know, we can build a housing unit today, and it's good for the family, but then 20 years, that price has gone up, and it's not good for future families. When I was mayor of the city of Burlington, we were the first... Uh, city in America uh, to put funding into community land trust housing. And that has been enormously accept enormously successful. And what that, what that says, it, it does something a little bit, <coughs> a little bit complicated, but what it does is pretty simple. It says the land trust, the community land trust owns the land, you own the house. You can do whatever you want with the house. But when you sell that house, you can't sell it at market rates and make a lot of money. You're going to have to sell it. You can make a modest profit on it. But the next person who comes along will be able to enjoy that affordable housing as well. So that's a model which has spread, by the way, not only all over America, but all over the world. Now, as somebody who as I said earlier, grew up in a three-and-a-half-room rent-controlled apartment, which was so important for my family. My dad never made much money, but at least we did not have to spend a fortune on housing. So we have got to also make sure that communities can realize every tool that is available to them to make housing affordable, including rent control. Landlords should not be able to simply raise rents to any level they want, any time they want. <laughs> Further, we must also make certain that communities are able, have the legal right to require that real estate developers include affordable housing in new developments. So it is simply not acceptable. And we did this in Burlington when I was mayor as well. You just can't come in and build expensive housing. And to build expensive housing, you're going to also have to build a significant amount of affordable housing. <laughs> Further, we must aggressively defend and promote the legal protections of fair housing and make sure that no one in this country is denied housing based on the color of their skin, their national origin, 
their religion, their gender, or their disability. We must end the modern-day redlining that subjects people of color to unfair loan processes and arbitrary denials. And finally, obviously, to make sure that, as I mentioned earlier, that housing is affordable, people have got to earn a living wage. Okay, now uh, it gives me uh, a lot of pleasure to welcome up to the stage uh, Maria Constantine. Uh, Maria is a longtime tenant leader in her building who has led many fights for tenant rights. Maria, come on up. Senador Sander, le agradezco por escucharnos y tenernos aquí. Soy una persona de la tercera edad y líder de inquilinos desde hace mucho tiempo en mi edificio con la coalición. He liderado muchas peleas para asegurar que los propietarios respeten nuestro derecho a una vivienda saludable, segura y asequible. A medida que pasan los años, he visto que las cosas empeoran para los inquilinos. Hay muchas viviendas y lo que no hay más allá está más allá de la mayoría de las personas con ingresos fijos como yo. No están construyendo apartamentos para personas como yo y mis vecinos a lo largo plazo. En muchos años entiendo que la vida no es fácil, pero me gustaría ver un mundo más justo. Me gustaría ver en cambio que incluya a todas las personas y beneficie a todas las personas, no solo a las personas privilegiadas. Queremos ser parte del progreso, no, no quedarnos atrás. Esperamos que nos pueda ayudar a este futuro. Gracias. ¿Ya? Senator Sanders, thank you for listening and having us here. I'm a senior citizen and a longtime tenant leader at a building uh, with CES. I have led many fights to ensure owners respect our rights to healthy, safe, and affordable housing. As the years go by, I've seen things get worse for renters. There is less housing, and what is out there is beyond most people on fixed incomes like myself. They are not building apartments for people like me and my long-term neighbors. In many years, I understand my life is not easy, but I would like to see a more just world. We would like to see changes that include all people and benefits all people, not just those that are privileged. We want to be part of the progress. We do want, not want to get left behind. We hope you can help us with that future. Thank you. Thank you very much, Maria. Um, now I'd like to introduce Minerva Cruz. Uh, Minerva was displaced 
from long-term housing and as a spokesman for the difficulties faced uh, by those people who are forced out of a neighborhood as a result of gentrification. Minerva, come on up. Mi nombre es Minerva Cruz y soy miembro de la coalición. Senador Sanders, estamos felices de estar aquí y tener la oportunidad de resaltar la injusticia económica que enfrentamos. My name is Minerva Cruz and I'm a member of CES. Senator Sanders, we are happy to be here and get a chance to highlight the economic injustices we face. Todos los días vivimos la división desigual de recursos en nuestra comunidad. Parece que los que tienen deciden que quieren más y obtienen más. Every day we live in an unequal division of resources in our community. It seems that those that have decide that they want more and they get more. Fui desplazado por el desalojo de la ley Ellis, un desalojo legal que me obligó a salir de mi departamento a pesar de que era un buen inquilino y siempre pagaba mi renta a tiempo. I was displaced by the Ellis Act eviction, a legal eviction that forced me out of my apartment. Even though I'm a good tenant, I always paid on time. Había vivido en mi, en mi vecindario de Koreatown durante más de una década, pero el propietario decidió que prefería de, derribar el edificio y ganar más dinero. I had lived in my neighborhood in Koreatown for over a decade, but, a decade, but the owner decided he would rather tear down my building and make more money. No tengo el privilegio de recoger e ir con una familia a donde, a donde quiera. Mis hijos son pequeños y tuvimos que mudarnos a un nuevo vecindario. I don't have the privilege to just pick up and go with my family wherever I wish. My children are young and we have to uproot ourselves and move to a new neighborhood. Pagando casi el doble de lo que solíamos pagar, donde no teníamos amigos ni familiares cercanos, ni conocimiento de la comunidad local. Paying nearly double what we used to pay, where we had no friends, no family nearby, and no knowledge of the local community. Además de todo, somos una familia de medios limitados. Hacemos lo que podemos con lo poco que tenemos. On top of that, we are a family of limited means. We do what we can with the little we have. Pero cada día es más difícil estar nuestros pocos din dinero que tenemos gana ganamos y nuestra familia está teniendo que hacer más y más sacrificios. And it, it gets harder and harder to stretch the few dollars we have and our families having to make more and more sacrifices just to stay above water. Muchas familias enfrentan la misma experiencia todos los días. Many families are facing the same experience every day. Esperamos que escuchen nuestras historias y nos ayude a encontrar una visión para una sociedad mejor y más equitativa. Todos puedan tener éxito. We, we hope that you listen to our stories and help us find a vision for a better and more equitable society where we can all be successful. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Uh, now it's my uh, pleasure to introduce Larry Gross. Larry is the executive director of the Coalition for Economic Survival and one of the leading advocates on the preservation and expansion of rent-controlled housing. Larry. Wow. Yeah. So, so be, what I did want to say is that I've been doing this for 46 years. 
This is the first time these issues of rent control, gentrification, and displacement has been elevated to the presidential campaign level. Thank you, Senator Sanders. So, but I'm, I'm here today to tell you we don't have a housing crisis. It's a housing catastrophe. It's a housing calamity. It's a national affordable housing emergency, and it's getting worse. Los Angeles is proof of that. L.A. has the most unaffordable rents in the nation. Over 60% of our residents are tenants. We're a city of tenants. 64% of those renters are paying unaffordable rents, paying upwards of 50% of their income to rent. As, as Senator Sanders says, families have little left over for food, clothing, school supplies, and health care, which is just another reason why we need Bernie's Medicare for All. L.A. has the highest poverty rate in the nation. One out of four households are living in poverty. You need four minimum wage jobs to be able to afford the average rent in Los Angeles. And we have the worst overcrowded situation in the nation with people having to double up and triple up to afford the rent. And as we know, we are the we are the nation's homeless capital, unfortunately. We've lost 26,000 rent-controlled units since 2001 due to the State Ellis Act. And at the same time, Los Angeles needs over a half a million affordable housing units now. But we can't build our way out of this. We must both preserve existing affordable housing and undertake a massive national effort to build new affordable housing. But the Trump administration provides little and no help. Trump's HUD secretary, Ben Carson's priority is, well, Carson's priority is to spend $40,000 on a new dining set and dishwasher for his office and not provide us with affordable housing funds. Car Carson? He's a brain surgeon, but he knows nothing about housing. But he does know how to use his surgeon's scalpel to cut housing funds. <laughs> Sisters and brothers, housing must be a human right. Yeah. Housing must be a human right. Housing must be a human right. I... I you know, I, I, heard, I heard Senator Sanders in an interview last week. He said, I'm going to be, uh, run the presidency different than anyone else. I'm not only going to be the commander-in-chief, I'm going to be the organizer-in-chief. Well, sign me up. I'm ready to join Bernie's brigade of organizers. Are you?
because Because we need somebody who understands it's not only important to be elected, we must guarantee people are empowered and kept involved beyond just voting. This is how we ensure that people have a direct say in their day-to-day -day lives and the decisions that affect it and keep our elected officials ele uh, accountable. It is why I am feeling the burn, and I hope you are, and it's why... I support Bernie Sanders as the next president of the United States. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, last but not least is Michael Weinstein. And Michael is the founder of AIDS Healthcare Foundation, uh, a rent control advocate, and a housing provider for the homeless community. Michael, come on up. I, I traveled not only across this country, but I, across the world. And I have not visited any place in the developing world that has as many people sleeping on the streets as there are in Los Angeles. Los Angeles being one of the richest cities in the world, it is shameful, shameful that 59,000 people call the streets their home. There simply is no more basic human right than the right to shelter. As Larry, as Larry said, I am so proud of Senator Sanders for elevating the issue of housing affordability and homelessness to the national stage and to this presidential election. When the financial crisis happened and millions of people were foreclosed upon, do you know what happened? The vultures from companies like Blackstone swept in. They bought, they bought those houses and they rented them back to the people who they had stolen them from. We know that we cannot rely on the marketplace to regulate the banks. We know that we cannot relay, rely on the marketplace to provide health care for everyone who needs it. And it's certainly very, very clear that we cannot relay, rely on an unregulated market to provide shelter to everyone who needs it. In fact, in fact, what's happened is that housing has become a commodity. And you have mega corporations uh, and foreign investors swooping in and taking up these housing units. This is rampant speculation, and uh, it's going to only get worse. So the solution lies in three areas. I call them the three Ps. Prevent. And the only way to prevent additional homelessness and a lack of affordability is rent control. 
They spent, the real estate industry spent $80 million to defeat us last November, you know, and they may be thinking they had a great victory. Well, I'll tell you, we're going to be back on the ballot next November. Because, because our legislature is bought and paid for by the real estate interests, unfortunately, in our liberal California. Okay. We need to preserve communities by fighting gentrification and land speculation. And we need to produce additional housing. But we can't do it by spending $500,000 per unit to house a low-income family. We have to take the resources and adapt them and use them and produce housing. And that's what AIDS Healthcare Foundation and the Healthy Housing Foundation are doing. You know, uh, I'll say that Bernie and I share the experience of living under rent control in Brooklyn. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, <laughs> And um, my family was a working class family, but we never worried about having a roof over our head. So I'll just say in the end that when it comes to health care, Bernie wrote the damn bill. And when it comes and when it comes to housing, the rent is too damn high. Thank you, Michael. Okay, we're going to open up in a second, but I wanted to pick up on a point that Michael made, and, and essentially what is the heart of our campaign. You know, way back, in 1944, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave a great speech. It was part of his, it was a State of the Union speech. It was 1944, it was a year before the World War II ended, and he died a year later. And the speech never got a whole lot of attention. But what he said, and what we are trying to follow through on, is he said, you know, it's in so many words, he said, it's great, we have a Bill of Rights, we have a Constitution, guarantees people freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, all of that is terribly important. But what he said then and what I am saying now and what you've heard here, we have got to go forward and make sure that we guarantee economic rights to people, not just political rights. You know, when we talk about freedom, it is great that you have, we have freedom of speech and freedom of religion, but what does freedom mean for somebody who is sleeping out on the streets? What does freedom mean if you're making 12 bucks an hour and can't afford health care? <coughs> so what we are trying to do in this campaign is kind of redefine what politics is about in America and what human freedom is about. So we believe that in America, Healthcare is a human right. We believe that education is a human right. We believe that housing is a human right. We believe that when you get old, we believe that when you get old, you are entitled 
to retire with dignity. We believe that a clean environment, when you turn on the water in your house, you have a human right to make sure that water is not toxic. We believe that there is something fundamentally wrong when so many of our people are homeless or spending far more than they can afford at the same time as we have more income and wealth inequality than any other major country on earth. That is wrong as well. All right. Now, uh, where is my staff? We got microphones ready to go. All right, Danny, you got one? Does somebody else have one? All right, we got a mic over there. We have a mic over here. What I would like now is for people, let's, uh, I'm going to ask you questions, you ask me questions. Why don't we start off? Uh, I'd like to hear from people uh, in terms of what they are experiencing right now in the housing market. Who wants to come on up and talk about their own experiences? We got a woman right up here, ma'am. Uh, where's our mic? There we go. Please stand up. Yes. And give us your name and hold that mic. Give, let her hold the mic. Hold it close to your mouth. Hi, my name is Carla. I live in an affordable housing community called Kingswood Apartments. It's managed by the Michaels organization. We consistent, we basically consist of in having our units mostly elderly and people who are on fixed incomes. We just received rent increases from $200 to $500. Our tenants are stressed. It is shameful. People are going without food so that they can pay to keep a roof over their heads. And I like to know, as president, because I know you're going to be president. What will you do to take care and make sure that these nonprofit organizations will not profit and use public money and say they're building affordable housing, but they are taking it and making a profit, taking the monies from the public, making a profit, and then, of course, people are then homeless and have nowhere to stay. But these organizations are still making a profit because they're saying we or nonprofit organizations, but then they're making a profit off of the backs of hard people. Tell you what we're people. gonna do. We don't have to wait for me to become president. We're gonna inquire about that uh, this afternoon. We're gonna make some calls and see what's going on. Make sure. Um, okay. Can you give that information to Michael? All right. Make sure, Michael. Will you take that, Michael? You take that information so we know what to do. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. And you, you've said it all. You're living in a community now of folks who are struggling economically, and then suddenly they wake up one day and they're going to they're ask to pay more than $200 a month more, and people can't do two, $200 to $500 more? All right, people cannot pay two or $5,000 a year on rent when they're living uh, in unlimited incomes. This is exactly the crisis that we're facing, not only here in California, but all over America. Landlords do not have the right to do that. And in a sense, 
What I'm hearing you say is that they're literally taking food out of the mouths of people because people can't afford to pay those rents and that feed themselves as well. All right, we're not going to let that happen. Let me just tell you that. Okay. Danny, you got somebody? Okay. Good afternoon, Senator Sanders. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm fortunate. If it weren't for a couple of friends of mine who let me have a room and a, and I, and a house and I, and a dog sit, if it weren't for these people, I would be living in my car. And I just had an accident with my car, and they were wondering, why was I so upset about losing my car? I didn't pay for it. I said, because it's all I have. It's all I have. So I want to say, I never forget how grateful I am and privileged I am that I have friends like this and family. I try and give back as much as I can. But these people deserve to have their room back. And I deserve to be on my own um, and not separated from my animals because I can't have them. But they're being taken care of. So again, my gratitude really doesn't know any bounds when it comes to certain things. Um, I would love to be able to pay $500 or $600, $700 for a place to stay. That's more than double what I'm able to pay them now, but certain things can happen. And um, I'd just like that opportunity. I would just like that opportunity. That's all I ask. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, you know, thank you. And, and I know that it is not easy for people to get up in front of the mic and in front of the TV cameras to talk um, about these experiences. But please know that every time you raise your voice, there are people all over this country, this is being live streamed, I expect, who are saying, you know what, that's my experience too. And the more people understand that they're not alone in this struggle, the more people understand that we have a catastrophe, as Larry was saying, in terms of affordable housing, they're going to be emboldened to stand up and fight back as well. So thank you so much for your remarks. Thank you for coming and speaking to us, Senator Sanders. My name is Wendelin Emrys, and I want to address ageism, corporate greed, and the failure of the Social Security disability system to help the people who have paid into the system. My husband worked for a defense contractor, IT, for almost 20 years, a month shy of 20 years. A management person lost 300 million. They proceeded to lay off 3,000 workers, mostly older workers. My husband lost his job. Then he became disabled. We have been in the disability process for two years. Um, we are a week away from losing our home. Um, to auction, I'm sorry. I have an MA. I'm working on my PhD. I just got a minimum wage job at Ralph's, thank the gods, to at least make a little money. I can't get a job because of my age. I'm 59. We need to address that. Also, I don't know how many of you people know this because most of you are renters. We were in rent control for 18 years until we saved up to buy a home. A second mortgage can get foreclosed on in the state of California. You can miss one payment of a $900 second mortgage and have your house sold out from underneath you. This is criminal. It should not be allowed. The Social Security, 
disability system, you spend 40 years paying into it, you shouldn't have to be begging to get help from it. The imbecile who is sitting in the POTUS seat right now wants to cut benefits for SNAP, for people like us who are struggling, who worked hard all our lives, and there is no American dream. There is only an American dream for the oligarchy, for the wealthy, and the people who have established this income inequality. How many yachts do you need? How many homes do you need? It needs to trickle down. We need to stop giving money to war countries who kill journalists billions and billions of dollars when that money can be used on our own shores. Thank you. And I want to pick up on, on, thank, you. thank you very much. And I want to pick up on, on one point um, that gets very often lost in the shuffle, and that is we are not paying attention to people with disabilities in any way that we should. That's a whole other issue out there, but it is tied into housing. Thank you. Okay, ma'am. Hold Two. Hip. Sorry. Good. Good. Um, I was kicked out of my house when I turned 18. I had actually begged to be put into foster care at the age of 14 so I could avoid being living with my father who ended up kicking me out. I am an LGBT youth, um, though my sexuality is not the main reason I got kicked out. It is definitely one of them. And I am only by the generosity of individuals am able to actually still live in California. Um, I was actually considering for a long time going back to Germany where I was born. Um, but I wanted to stay here in America because I actually have a dream to run for president one day because I'm a dual citizen. And I think that this country needs that. So I just wanted to let you know that homeless students like me, um, we do support you 100% because we need you in office. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you for raising that issue. And I see it in Burlington, Vermont, state of Vermont. It's all over this country. Kids, for a variety of reasons, are forced out of their parents' homes. Where do they go? And too often, they are, in fact, living out on the streets. And that is something we have got to end. Thank you very much. Hello, Bernie. Thank you so much for coming to our San Fernando Valley. Um, thank you. Uh, my name is Tracy Malagalig. I represent um, my mother who passed away um, recently, who was living in a 55 plus community and they were um, pretty much taking all of her social security for the rent. Um, I looked through her paperwork and they actually knew documented how much money she was receiving you know basically her whole life was in those paperworks because they were they wanted to know how much money they could steal from her um, because of what Trump did I feel like he took my mother's life she was stressed until the day that she died um, I also am here to represent the community of um, those with intellectual and physical disabilities I was working for the uh, regional center North Los Angeles for two years and I watched um, caseworkers literally fight for housing and resources for the disability community. It's 25,000, it's probably rose since then, um, to the point where I had to leave because it didn't, what they were doing didn't align with my morals and my values as a human being. Um, I do want to know, I want you to know that um, DDS and the regional center are mismanaging funds 
and I do want something to be done about that, and I hope that you put some sort of um, vibe out there in that direction as far as um, the federal funding for DDS. Thank you. Let me just, in, in response, let you know that you know Trump campaigned for president saying he was not going to cut Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security. In fact, he has proposed in his budget massive cuts to Social Security, massive cuts to Medicare and Medicaid, and they're focusing on cuts to the disability community, if you can believe it. All right, so our job in terms of Social Security is not only to stop any cuts, but to expand Social Security benefits and to extend the life of Social Security. And we do that, we do that by lifting the cap on taxable income and asking people making 250000 or more to pay the same percentage of their income as people making $50,000. Name, please. Bernie, my name is David Barlavi. I've been a burner since the early, early 90s. <laughs> and you, sir, inspired me to run for local office as a burner. And uh, we won our elections. And <laughs> in the very conservative town of Santa Clarita, there is now a burner on the school board. Good. I can't express in words how devastating it is to come close to losing your house. When my wife lost her job, we were a two-income family. When my wife lost her job, we had kids, two kids, and we came extremely close to losing our home. And, you know, I try to act like a big, tough guy, but it really breaks you down. It really shakes your world. And um, as a local attorney in Valencia now, um, my question to you is, how can we get legal representation to people who can't afford it when they need health care and they need legal, when they need housing protection and need legal, I, I cannot do enough pro bono work and still make a living. What's our plan in that regard, Bernie? Well, we're going to substantially increase funding for the great work that legal aid is doing. And we're also going to make sure that public defenders in this country have the resources they need to represent their clients. You know, David, you raise, I mean, every issue out there raises 10 other issues. But you're talking, you know, in America, we're supposed to be a nation where we have equal protection under the law for all people. We know that that is not true. We know that if you're a large corporation, you're going to hire 100 lawyers and break your opponents. If you're a poor person getting thrown out of your house, you probably can't find a lawyer when you need that lawyer. And that's what we're going to change. Dear Bernie, I hope you know that we're all beyond honored to be here. And Thank I you. speak from my heart. There's so many issues, but I want to get back to housing and affordable housing. 
and taking problems and turning them into solutions. And I heard about you years ago, and I've been a burner ever since I read your letter, about kudos to people taking a problem, automobile tires, and building houses out of trash. And somebody did it in Vermont, and we got the letter. And so I'm a California licensed realtor, and I see so many sad inadequacies of young families, old families, trying to get lending, trying to jump through the hoops of permits on perfectly buildable land. And we can't get anywhere because of all the red tape. I want to ask you that when you're president, will you help revolutionize FHA and HUD so that we can get lending to build earth ships? The very short answer is yes. Why yes? <laughs> so. Hi, hi, Mr. Sanders. My name is Lauren Cooper. Lauren. Uh, Lauren Cooper. I'm here in regards of all my tenants and neighbors at 11815 Gilmore Street. We are in the middle of a, a tenant strike against a giant of a landlord, Jeff Green. <laughs> They're, they're struggling to pay rents. They re the management company refuses to take care of the property properly. The majority of the, the building is infested with mold or issues. And my biggest worry and fear is that we, I pray for all of us in California, that we have no earthquakes. Because the main part of the building may cave in. But the overall part of it is, it's a people thing. Some people brought us in to help them. And they gave up because they were scared of the fight. But I'm, me and some of my neighbors are still fighting. We're struggling against this rate of hike constant every year. And it's even harder and harder when you're not making enough money. It's just one of those things that in California, I've been here 33 years. Each year it's gotten worse and worse as a graph. It goes down. So, Lauren, what you're saying now is your building is on a rent strike because the landlord is not keeping up the property Yes. Okay. You know what? If you want to, um, Michael, I'm designating you. All right. But at the end, you know, just to get me the, we'll take it from there. But if you can get to Michael, Michael, raise your hand. All right, Lauren, get to him at the end of the program and give us some information and phone numbers, okay? Thank you, Mr. Sanders. Okay. My vote goes with you. Sir? Hi, Bernie. I have a favor to ask for you regarding Medicare for All. Uh, it's a very commendable idea. Unfortunately, the people that oppose Medicare for All, as you experienced during the last debate, are going to posit it as socialism, as a tax on the middle class. What I'm asking you to do is to measure or enumerate what the cost that people are currently paying for medical and prescription drugs. It's not enough to say that we pay more than any other country, industrialized nation in the world. We have to make it clear to the American public, this is what you pay for co-pays, out-of-pockets, co-insurance, deductibles, premiums, what you pay for the different tiers of prescription drugs. This is what we pay now. And if we have Medicare for all that's funded through taxes, this is what you pay now. And this is what you will pay after we have Medicare for all. 
It has to be clear to the American public. Otherwise, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely, we're going to do a better job at it. All right, because what, I'm sorry, your name is? Ken. Kim? Ken. Ken. What Ken is saying is that right now we pay, unlike other countries, we pay for health care in a dozen different ways. So let's just say you're making $30,000 a year. And let's say you're paying $500 a month in premium. And you got a $7,000 deductible. So 500 times 12, 6,000. And then you are, have a deductible. You're going to have to add to that. And you're making, so you're paying 20, 25% of your limited income for health care, right? It's even more than that, Bernie, because that, if you're making 30000 you're not taking home 30000 a year. Right, you got taxes that are going to matter. Right? Exactly. All right, but the, your point is well taken. Right now, we pay for health care. Every time you go to the pharmacy and you buy a drug, buy medicine, you're paying the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. We are going to lower those costs, and the American people need to know how much we're going to do that for. Just as an example... When you talk about savings, and Ken's point is absolutely right. We've got to do a better job in explaining this. Some of you may know that um, a week ago Sunday, I was in Canada with people who are dealing with diabetes. Seven million people in America need insulin, use insulin. We went over the Canadian border and we bought exactly the same vials of insulin used in the United States for one-tenth of the price, 10% of the price. And that's not just true for insulin, it's true for many other drugs. But Ken's point is that we pay for health care, we pay it for premiums. We pay it out of premiums. We pay it out of co-payments. We pay it out of out-of-pocket expenses when we go to the doctor or when we go to the pharmacy. Our employer is paying it, which impacts the wages that we receive. You add all of that together, we end up spending as a nation twice as much per capita as do the people of any other country. So you got a system which not only denies 87 million people the health care they need when they need it, but it costs us a fortune. And Ken is right. We're going to have to do a better job. We're winning the fight, Ken. By the way, poll after poll shows more and more people are supportive of Medicare for all. We're winning it. But if you just look at Canada, and I want everybody to know this because you're not going to see this on TV. This is not put on corporate TV. But if in Canada, if you go into Canada and you have, say, heart surgery, and you're in a hospital for two, three, four weeks, and the procedures would cost in the United States hundreds of thousands of dollars, how much do they pay in Canada for those procedures? Anyone know? Zero. You all know that. And yet Canada ends up spending half per capita of what we spend because the function of their system is not to make $100 billion in profits last year for the healthcare industry in America. All right. So Ken is right. We got a, we got a lot of work in front of us. We are winning the struggle. Because people understand that there is something insane about a system which gives huge profits to the drug companies and the insurance companies, but denies health care to so many Americans. So, name please. 
Hi, my name is Daniel. Thank Daniel. you for being with us today, Senator Sanders. Um, I'm a mental health professional. Um, I've worked in, thank you. I've worked in a lot of capacities, uh, multiple populations, including the homeless. Worked for a place that was uh, housing first. We believe that housing was important first for anybody who's homeless because you can't hope to feel better and do better without having a place to live first. But um, a year and a half ago, I became homeless up to right now. It's because all my passion and all of my commitment to the work I want to do and keep on doing the rest of my life couldn't save me from a lease re renegotiation when I found out that I had to renegotiate a lease with my, with my landlord and property manager. And my only option was to figure it out, live in my car, keep working, not tell anybody, not tell my family, not tell anybody. Only a few people actually know about this, and probably more now since it's broadcasted, right? <laughs> uh, but I can't cry about it, you know, because I have to be strong and practice what I preach and cope. So what I need to know is not just for me, because I have a chance still. I'm still fighting to get myself back on my feet. But I've met so many people in my own life, on the street, in front of churches, being ignored having all kinds of issues and psychiatric problems, and I want to tell them there's a chance, there's help coming, and I don't know where it's coming from, and I'm hoping it's from you, because I can't trust, I can't trust my mayor, I can't trust my district representative, I can't trust the state government. Some of them didn't wait that long to, to show this, and I, I I, I know I have to trust you, and I want to trust you, too, and I, I have my vote, and I need more people to trust you, too, not just the ones I see. So I need to know for anybody out there that I come across, because I'm, talk, I'm talking about this all the time in my work and in my free time, which is all the time now, <laughs> you know. Uh, what do I tell them to convince them to come over to our side? Yeah. Well, I, I want to... Daniel, thank you for your courage and, and thank you for the work you have done. I want to respond to two things that you said. Uh, somebody, a couple of years ago, in my office, they came up with a statistic and they said X percent of people uh, who are living out on the street are suffering from mental illness. And it struck me that anybody who is living out on the street, if you go out on the street and you go out on the street, you are going to develop mental illness. All right, how do you lift? I mean, it's hard for those who have a roof over our shoulders to, a roof over our heads to know what it's like. Where am I going to sleep tonight? Is the temperature going to be 100 degrees? How do I stay cool? How do I get water? If that does not drive anybody who started off without problems into severe problems, then I don't know what reality is. All right? So... The point that you made in your work is, and I think this has been borne out a whole lot of times, if we want to deal with uh, the crisis of, of mental illness in America, probably the first thing you could do is make sure that people have decent, safe, affordable housing. All right, That will go a long way to take the stress off their backs, and we go from there. I was in uh, Las Vegas. Some people working with veterans did a great job, and they're doing that right now, and the results are really quite good. Um, you know, the second point that you make is, is one of trust. 
And let, let me be very honest with people here. There's a lot of folks who are demoralized uh, and alienated from the political process. They're tired of being lied to and, and by politicians. Right? The message of our campaign is us, not me. All right? All right? And what, what does that mean? It means two things. One, that we are all in this together. That is, Americans and human beings, we will not turn our backs on people sleeping out on the street, people who are struggling with mental illness, people who cannot afford health care. Unlike Trump and his friends, we do not see human life simply as trying to make billions of dollars and turning our backs on what goes on in the world. We are in it together. We are in it together. But the second point that I want to make, Daniel, is I don't want you just to trust me. I want you to trust everybody in this room and millions of other people. In this sense. I will. Let me repeat this because I have said it a million times. And I think this distinguishes our campaign from those of my colleagues, many of them who are really decent people running. So let me be very clear to you, Daniel. Bernie Sanders alone cannot do what has to be done. All right? What we need, we are taking on understand whether it's the California legislature or the United States Congress. This is what we are taking on in this campaign. We are taking on the power of Wall Street, where six financial institutions have assets of over 50% of the GDP of America. That's $10 trillion, six banks. They have endless amounts of money to spend in any way they want. We're taking on the insurance companies which spent $131 million a few years ago to defeat a proposal supported by Michael and the nurses in this country and me, $131 million to prevent the people of California from getting lower cost prescription drugs. In one state, one ballot item. Think what they will spend to try to stop us from lowering prescription drug costs throughout this country. We're taking on the insurance companies where you got executives who make hundreds of millions of dollars by promoting mergers when we got 83, 87 million people uninsured or underinsured. We're taking on the military industrial complex. We're taking on the prison industrial complex. Right. I say all of those things, not to mention the fossil fuel industry, which is destroying the planet. So, Daniel, I say all of those things to tell you that we are in for a tough fight. All right? I cannot do it alone, and I'm not going to lie to you. I need your help not just to win here in California and win the Democratic nomination, and not only to beat Trump. I need your help the day after we are inaugurated to take on the powerful special interests. So, Daniel, I'm being honest with you. You know, I wish I could tell you that day after I snap my fingers and we do all of the things we want to be done. We're taking on very powerful, special interests. You're taking on the real estate industry. They love the status quo. They love the idea that they can make a fortune by doubling rents or by throwing people out of the units and converting them into condominiums. We're taking them on. So the only way, at the end of the day, and this is important for everybody to understand, real change, including the fight for affordable housing, 
will never take place from the top on down. It takes place when millions of people stand up and fight. That's what this campaign is about. So I say to Daniel, it's not trusting me, it's trusting each other to stand up and fight. Okay, ma'am, name please. Hi. My name is Jillian, 24 years old. A few years back, I moved out from my parents so that my parents could retire, and I moved in with my younger sister. Lately, my apartment has gotten worse and worse. We got a new landlord who doesn't take care of our apartment building. It's infested with bugs, cockroaches, a big dent into our bathroom from a, dr a drunk accident, and she won't fix anything. And we fought hard all about this. She, raised, she tried to raise our rent to $2,200. We had to fight the, the landowner to make it down to $1,900. Let me ask one of the panelists. I don't know, maybe Larry or Michael. What are the legal remedies in that circumstance? Are you under rent control? No, I am not. Does she have any legal remedies at all? please <laughs> I'm sorry mr. Sanders uh, my name is Jesse Lipton Jesse yes <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here um, so my question is a two-parter about policy for your administration um, okay I'm sorry <laughs> um, so I uh, volunteered a great deal with the homeless in um, the inner city in Skid Row and I've noticed that a great deal of mentally ill are, of the mentally ill who are homeless are consistently in and out of state hospitals. Um, and you know, the halfway houses in LA are kind of like insanely expensive and the government run ones are just not humane at all. And um, so the first part of my question is, uh, will there be more funding for transitional housing for those coming out of public mental health institutions and hospitals? Um, and then I have a second part of my question, which is um, my dad works um, trying to like help with a nonprofit that helps to um, get veterans into housing and um, jobs. And uh, I've heard from him and like through his experience, I've like really seen rampant mismanagement throughout the VA, Veteran Affairs, um, and it leaves a lot of veterans, you know, homeless and without adequate health care, sorry, living on the street, you know, suffering and dying. And I think if we go into a social contract with the government, like the people that are defending our country and, you know, risking their lives, like they more than anyone deserve to be taken care of by that government. And so will investigation and funding into like the VA and areas helping veterans that also be a priority within your administration? Absolutely. All right. I, look, you, you, <laughs> Jesse's point is a good point. Today we have over 30,000 veterans sleeping out on the street. 
And some of that, I think, may be a result of PTSD uh, incurred in uh, war-torn uh, countries and, and when they were abroad. Uh, I'm the former chair of the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, and we will do everything we can to make sure that no veteran in America goes homeless. Okay? Thank uh, you. And in terms of... You know, in terms of transitional housing, it is, it's a very important question, and it is not only uh, in terms of people struggling with mental illness, uh, it is also for people who are getting out of jail. Uh, we have a, a rate of recidivism which is much too high, and what often happens is people get out of jail, uh, they don't have the job training or the education that they need, they don't have the housing that they need, and then we're shocked when they get back into the same environment uh, which got them in jail in the first place. So transitional housing is enormously important and that is something we will pay a great deal of attention to. All right, I see a lot of people still online. Uh, I'm only gonna be able to take a couple of more questions. Um, Ma'am? No, you, there's a mic, there's the mic. And I have a better microphone. My name is Melody Jaramillo and I work with LA Family Housing, the region's leading homeless service agency and affordable housing developer. I commend you on the highest level for having such a comprehensive plan. Uh, in the county of Cal in the Los Angeles County, we have about 58,000 people experiencing homelessness. 21,000 of those individuals were housed last year, but 54,000 fell back into homelessness for the first time. So having a comprehensive plan, you're not just discussing the creation of housing, it's also what brings you into, ho into homelessness. Uh, it is complex, it is messy, and it's it's ridiculously bureaucratic. So coming from the top down, it, I hope that you would streamline the processes and maintain, you've mentioned it first, housing first and the right to housing. Many homeless service agencies have many stipulations. From hearing from the group, there was a woman, you can't bring your pets, or you're not homeless enough, or you don't have your VA voucher, or you don't have your Section 8 voucher, and all of those barriers keep people on the street and not in housing. Lastly, and not a part of LA Family Housing, I can't help you make the Democratic ticket as a registered Republican, but when you're against Trump, you have my vote. God bless you. Best of luck. All right. Now let me just ask, I don't want you to respond, but hearing what you said, and it sounds like you're trying to do the right thing with your life, I am not quite sure why you are a re registered Republican. <laughs> think about it, all right? All right. All right, but your point is, your main point is that the housing process and agency after agency is incredibly bureaucratic. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is that at the top right now, the goal is not to build housing. The goal is not to address homelessness, but in many ways it's to do exactly the opposite. So you're right, we need to streamline with the goal to make sure that nobody in America is sleeping out on the street. And that certainly will be our goal. Thanks. Okay, ma'am. Hi, my name is Angie. Um, I wanted to know if you have any plans to investigate the mismanagement of wealth in large cities, for example, Los Angeles, when we keep hearing about millions of dollars being funded into public facilities such as subways, but we haven't seen any of these projects be completed, but we are seeing the complete like underfunding of public education. For example, in my high school, we had to share desks and share textbooks, and 
I just wanted to know if there was any plans to investigate that, and not just Los Angeles, but all large cities. I mean, the answer is, is obviously yes. If we're going to restore people's faith in government, uh, then people have got to realize uh, that public officials are using their money cautiously and, and honestly and effectively. So the answer to your question is yes. All right, let me, um, let me conclude uh, by thanking everybody, all those. I'm sorry I can't get to all of the questions. Uh, I want to thank everybody here, uh, anybody who is watching this live streamed or anybody who is sitting here uh, who has heard uh, the comments made by folks here today. Uh, if you don't understand that uh, there is a horrific housing crisis in California, and I know we focused on this area and we focused on California, but I want to tell you, we can go to Seattle. We can go to cities all over this country, and I have the feeling that the stories being told will be exactly the same. So what my promise to you is that as President of the United States, we will get our priorities right. And our priorities are about not giving tax breaks to billionaires. Our priorities are not having to spend more on the military than the next 10 nations combined. Our priorities are having an economy and a government that addresses the real issues facing the American people. Those issues are the crisis of affordable housing. Yes, this is America, and we can build the affordable housing, we can preserve the affordable housing, we can make sure that people who are living in decent housing now are not pushed out of their communities because of gentrification. These are things we can do, and together it is exactly what we will do. Thank you all very much. <laughs>